0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb and sad times, my friends. What is there to be sad
1: about? It's it's time to talk about magic. The best part of our week, every week, is this hour and however many minutes you and I spend together in my eyes.
0: I don't disagree with you. I think that at this point, maybe uh, this is, you know, worse than last week or worse than like a few weeks ago, you know it's still the best part of my week it's just you know worse okay, than it could so be
1: comparatively downtrending i i can agree with that obviously we were hoping for one thing with the past bad announcements uh, that came out on monday
0: and didn't quite
1: get what we wanted i guess
0: no no not quite uh we, i mean we got we got the thing that we wanted Six months ago, I suppose. <laughs> right.
1: That was part of my list of the like eight cards that were supposed to be banned. So I there might be one that made it through. I think Nyssa made it through without actually facing a ban. So congratulations, Nyssa, the last card standing for my ludicrous ban list that everyone laughed at.
0: You didn't You didn't have like Ember Cleave and Clover on that list at that point? Or is that just the, the new that's, list? That's new. That's my new ban okay. list. Okay. The original cool.
1: ban list was like eight cards way back in the day.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So- we did preview season. It was fun. It was good. Uh, again, Zenica rising, very good set. I, I think it, it hits on a lot of different benchmarks that make me feel overall, very positively about it. Mm-hmm. And Same. then we actually started playing the games and it was like, Oh, this, this omnath thing is pretty good. And then people started refining their decks and it's like, okay, this, this omnath thing is dumb, right? You have the possibility of putting your entire deck into play on turn four. In the meantime, you're just gaining huge chunks of life. Everything else that everyone else is doing, it just kind of like pales by comparison. We could have had Cauldron Familiar right now, uh, which would maybe give the format another very, very good deck, but that was deemed too strong, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, and then we had some some SCG tournaments and everything. Omnath was like a huge portion of those field, a huge uh, portion of those top eights, and a lot of different versions out there, too. Like, it was really difficult to come to a consensus best list. And I think everyone mostly decided that the problem was, in fact, Omneth. It was this four mana card that doubles your mana, shocker upon shockers, and gains you a bunch of life and everything. And then they banned Uro, which a lot of the versions, like, you know, weren't maxing out on. Some of the versions were playing zero, some were playing like one. And now we just live in a world where the Omneth thing is still a thing. It's weakened for sure. But I think it's safe to say that is still the best deck and it's not particularly close.
1: I agree. Uh, Here's, here's my take on the bands, like the big broad picture for this decision. It's better than people have made it out to be. Like if your interest is a balanced standard where there's decisions to be made and decks besides Omnath can theoretically win an event. I think banning Uro does that, not by virtue of weakening the Omnath deck directly, but by opening up more metagame space around it. A lot of things which you could tune to potentially have an okay Omnath matchup were squeezed out by Uro very hard. That card being gone does open some space. But in terms of like what you did to the Omnath core... You didn't accomplish all that much. And I guess at this point, I am just of the mindset that like this is not the magic that I am particularly thrilled about playing, but it's what we have and it's not changing. And it's about engines and snowballs. And like there's still there's still games to be played under that context. There's still decisions to be made. There's still decks to be built. Am I thrilled about the decision to leave Omnath legal? No. Do I get it? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I I wish we got something a little bit broader. I wish there was like an acknowledgement of this is not necessarily what we want magic to be. It just kind of worked out this way. And don't read the fact that we've misstepped in the same way a few times as a tacit endorsement of playing this style of magic. It's just coincidence that it all lumped together. That's what I was really hoping for here.
0: And we didn't get that. I, I don't necessarily think that they view it as a bug and not a feature.
1: I don't know. I don't know the but answer to that anymore. It
0: It's really difficult for me to envision a world where you're designing things like uh, Uro and uh, the Great Henge and Fires and, you know, Crisis, where it's just like, oh, we want Magic to be very engine-y and have everyone not run out of gas and have the games keep going. And, I, I mean, I'm I'm fairly sick of it at this point. It's like, I I think you're right in that. uh, Well, you might be right where the, the format has opened up a lot as a result of this ban for a few different reasons. But I also know that it's, you know, just less than a week after the ban happened and people are excited about exploring the, the new things or at least like returning to the old things that they worked on before and found weren't good enough. And maybe if there were, uh, a lot of tournaments happening around this time. You might see the format solidify again to just being a bunch of Omnath and stuff. But, like, right now you have, like, content creators and people playing on ladder and everything, like, trying trying new decks. And it kind of gives you, like, this false sense of security as far as, like, the health of the format, right?
1: Fair, fair.
0: But just as, and as far as, like, these these engines are concerned, I mean, ba- basically, like, all of these decks do things... And then what really matters is kind of like the end game engine, which has been very frustrating to me. So, I don't know, for example, something like uh, Mono Green Aggro, where you should just be able to like play big things and, you know, maybe Primal Might, remove some creatures or whatever. But realistically, you're not winning a whole lot of games unless you get the Great Henge. And for something like Gruul Adventures, it, like you can Embercleave people, and that's sort of your late game engine is just like equipping Embercleave to things until your opponent just runs out of answers and dies. Uh, but a lot of the time it's like, oh, you get Innkeeper or, again, the Great Henge going, and you just get to snowball your opponent. And I, I really don't like those games because it just makes everything that happened in the first four turns seem pretty meaningless.
1: Completely agree. I have two responses that i want to make to your points hopefully i'll remember my second one by the time i get to the end of my first one i think your point that they don't view it as a bug to have all these engines around i I don't think that has to be true i think there is a point in time maybe a year ago where this was an experiment like they they did believe in the power of having engines and keeping options full and never running out of cards like maybe a push to shape a standard environment that looked a little bit more like a commander environment i i think there's no question that was a goal and they were experimenting with that now does that mean that they believe that's the best thing going forward i don't think failing to ban omnath necessarily rings true as an endorsement of this style of magic i think it might be a bunch of other factors coming together not only like the recent printing of omnath but just trying to see if there's a way to mitigate this and not believing that we've done all the exploration that we could possibly do. Uh, Is that correct? No, I don't think so. I, I think Omnath will be among, if not the best thing, to be doing in the format for the entirety of its life. But I don't want to lose sight of the lag time that's built into all these decisions. So even if even if they believe that like this engine style of magic was net positive and a feature, not a bug, as you said, they don't necessarily still have to have that belief. And maybe it sounds like I'm doing some like, I'm going through the stages of grief right now where I'm doing some <laughs> bargaining. And I'm like, yeah. well, maybe maybe they'll come back around on it. I, I just don't know. I I don't have any idea. I am still... Hopeful that this mode of engine-based magic play is not the entirety of our future, but well, with all the pieces present, it's another year at least. You just can't get away right. from it at this point.
0: Yeah, I I will say that if this set is any indication, I feel like there is a big move away from it. Right? Like
1: M twenty one too. I would I would point the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. Like if if Magic gets to a point where instead of doing enginey things, you, for example, like, top off at Ugin, right? Like, that's cool. I'm fine with that. That is good. Or kill people with Shark Typhoon or whatever. But for Zendikar, there's Omnath, and Omnath largely plays into a lot of the stuff that existed previously, Escape to the Wilds, Genesis Ultimatum, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes. I, I don't know, man. Like, Cobra, Omnath, like, even Nahiri's uh, lithoforming or whatever, it's like, that is, that's pretty enginey. But aside from the landfall stuff, the set is mostly devoid of those sorts of things. And I do think it's a noble goal for them to move towards less games being decided by Flood or Screw and stuff like that. And the DFCs help a lot with that. Yeah. And the DFCs are very much in the Ugin vein of things where it's like Amiria's Call, uh, Agadeem's Awakening, Shatter Skull Smashing, where they they just kind of like wipe the board or you know what they do this they're, big thing they're single big effects as opposed right. to
1: like looping big effects.
0: Correct. And that bodes well to me. The problem is, like you said, there's lag from last year. It's it's gonna be a while before those things disappear. And I, I think that the the set is just an indicator of like, okay, maybe this is a more fair, more wholesome, like good way to do it. And I'm on board with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the starting point, like if we want to look at a progression, if you go back to the last two years, it's the enchantments, right? The four mana enchantments that are functioning as engines. And then like cat oven is the other big engine that comes together in that time period. And these are kind of like uninteractable permanents that are just generating this immediate value. And then the next step into maybe starting to shift away from that, you can view as, okay, if we're going to do this engine type stuff, we have to do it with vulnerabilities. So let's put it on creatures. And those are represented by Lotus Cobra, Omnath. And I, I think the mark is just missed in this case more than the goals are really bad. Like, I just think those two cards do problematic things, especially in conjunction because they're kind of redundant with each other.
0: So, yeah, can, and Omnath, too, is really difficult to fight with spot removal, right? Like, playing yeah. Omnath against a control deck in. You know, if you cast your Omnath and it gets essence scattered or neutralized or whatever, that sucks. But like when they Heartless acted, it's like you won on that exchange. Absolutely. So having it be on a creature, it's like, oh, look how vulnerable it is. But then it also just replaces itself. So it kind of removes that vulnerability of being a creature. Yep. And I I would
1: argue that that's the actual misstep here. Like that's the thing that's still holding down the idea of, oh, I'll just kill all your stuff is that if you just take the draw card off Omnath, I'm not saying it's a fine magic card and everything's solved, but it's like, it's just, it just feels that one tweak away from having a format that you can really work around and really make some meaningful targeting decisions against this kind of creature based engine. And I think that's the part of the idea that just missed a little bit here.
0: Yeah. Agree completely. I mean, the, the decks, and granted, you know, maybe this is not what they envisioned the decks looking like, right? Where it's like you ramp to ultimatum and you have a lot of bridges to get there, like Omnath, Escape the Wilds, even Cultivate Matters, you know? Like, the deck will usually win if it gets to resolve an ultimatum, but you still need a bunch of resources to get there, and Omnath makes it so your opponent can't really play a resource denial game. Yeah. And that that really stinks and like escape of the wilds too escape of the wilds is a huge problem but yeah. and uro made all of this worse too like that that it was did. the problem with yes. uro is
1: that you just you could never even think about resource denial it was just a failed Gambit, you were going to lose at some point. So I think that's the avenue that was supposed to open up with the Euro ban. And it's not so much that the Omnath decks are worse, it's that there's a style of play that you can now embrace that maybe can challenge the Omnath decks. I I just think the draw card thing means that while you can challenge them, they get to be best. And this brings me to my next point, which I actually remembered. I'm very excited we got there. In a lot of our discussions, and I don't we don't mean this I know what we mean but we're shorthanding it. We keep talking about omnath decks as if there is an omnath deck. Like there's one thing about omnath and I I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's a bunch of different ways to build these omnath decks and that's what complicates this problem. Is that while I believe you can target some modes of the quote unquote omnath deck there's going to always be a shift for them available. They can do so many different things. You can do the Felidar retreat setup. You can do ruin crab setups. You can do uh, just the straight hard cultivate route. You could lean really hard into Genesis Ultimatum or you could not play Genesis Ultimatum. And all of these adjustments are going to matter based on the metagame. And that's the thing that really solidifies the position for me that Omnath is always going to be there. We are not going to be rid of it during its time in standard. And that's the reason why I think the ban is disappointing is it's not that it's not that this is just so far and away the best deck. It's that it will always be part of the conversation and it's always going to be this snowball-y style of play that I'm just over at this point.
0: Yeah. we're, we're on like the third tier of ramp cards at this point, you know, like Spiral and Nissa have rotated, Uro's gotten banned, uh, for a while, cultivate really didn't see a whole lot of play because there were better options, and now it's just like, all right, yeah, whatever, we'll just we'll play the the second and third stringers and still get this done, yeah. right? And even aside from that, it, we saw Julian Felix Flurry win one of the SCG tournaments with a list that didn't play ultimatum, and he leaned into counter magic, yeah, counter magic, just playing more of like a, a tempo-y fish game, like you would just ramp a crew advantage have counter spells to uh, beat the mirror match, stop their big spells and also be able to like win fights uh, against control decks. And then you just won with Ugin and Ugin was mostly playing like ketchup. I guess like Kenrith was the actual win condition, but yeah, there are things like that. where it's just like, that's such a hard sidestep, right? If I've, I've played versions like that and I still have people doing things like just bringing in cards that are only good against ultimatum, for
1: example. Yep. Yeah. And not only that, like these these shifts are also available between games, right. which means your sideboarding is basically a nightmare. Like you have to know what your Omnath opponent is going to be doing in open deck list arenas.
0: It it's blunted.
1: It's blunted a little bit, but like for ladder play, people keep asking me. We're going to get into this. Our entire point of this show is not actually to talk about Omnath the entire time. It's to talk about other stuff we've been doing and. We've so actually give us both, 20 minutes. Give us 20 yeah, minutes to set let us, the scene. Let us ramble for a while. We both have actually been playing a ton, building a ton of decks, which is interesting because if you listen to us, we're both kind of unhappy with the decision, but I would say our average amount of play is up a little bit right now. Uh, maybe that's the function of everything crumbling around us. And I mean, I can't even leave my house because it's so smoky today. So there's there's that as part of the mix, but we are still working on a bunch of things. And I think that I am comfortable working on this stuff, but I am always doing so with the caveat that if your goal is to just win as much as possible, climb as high on the ladder as possible, and really succeed in this era of magic, the best use of your time is going to be understanding and mastering Omnath to the extent that you possibly can. And that means all modes of it, all sideboard plans, uh, all of the sequencing, you and I, uh, we were hanging out while you were climbing the ladder a little bit, a couple days ago. And just like, <laughs> I,
0: I wouldn't say I was climbing the ladder in that okay. session, but
1: <laughs> you were attempting to climb the ladder, I'm doing my best. Um, but like the extreme level of sequencing decisions that were coming up on a turn to turn basis. And it was just like, after every turn, just like, Oh yeah, I, I punted that turn. Should've done this. Should've done this over and over. Um, and it, it, it's a challenging deck to optimize to its fullest. And I think if you spend your time doing that for the next, however long you get to play with this card, you'll be rewarded for it. Uh, but if you're sick and can't stop building decks, then there's other stuff to explore. If you're comfortable not giving yourself the best chance to win every tournament, I guess.
0: Yeah, part of it for me, uh, as far as you know, playing a lot and being enthralled is rotation, set release, and the fact that the Omnath Strat kind of falls into my wheelhouse as far as like things that I like doing. And I I recognize that, you know, the games mostly suck and the matches mostly suck. Uh, You know, playing mirror matches is just kind of a shit show. But I do enjoy, you know, very spiky things like playing a deck that is so much better than what my opponent is doing, right? Like I do actually enjoy that. And I also enjoy tuning the best deck and trying to figure out how to beat the mirror match and stuff like that. And I did a lot of that in the, the week and a half after the set came out and I was making content on stuff like that. And I, I do enjoy that. I, I like also, you know, learning that stuff and showing it to other people and helping them have a leg up on the competition and everything. So like there, there were a lot of things that kept me motivated even just in the Omnath realm of things. But in the meantime, I was still, you know, like building other things and tuning them in the background, occasionally trying new things on ladder. And certainly after the BNR announcement hit, it's like, okay, I could could keep playing Omnath. But what I really wanted to do at that point was actually try other things. And, and I, I did that. I did a lot of that. I've certainly been working on Omnath and tuning that. I think I have maybe the best list, but it's like confidence is low, right? Because there are so many different options, but regardless, regardless, been working on a lot of other stuff.
1: Real quick, before we get into the other stuff, do you just want to give the main features of your list? I mean, you don't have to go card by card, but just the general ideas you have about what's important when building your Omnath deck right, right now.
0: Yeah. I play four Lotus Cobra for for omnath yes For escape, for escape to the wilds okay. and then I think this is a good time to be playing F- spike field hazard and anything else you do past that kind of you know you can just do whatever but okay if you're if you're looking for like the literal best possible way to optimize your thing I I tried so many different things dude you, you mentioned crabs the the counter spell version uh I've Done the, you know, like just mono edge and stuff like Dryad instead of Cultivate and trying and killing with Thassa's Oracle, and that plan got worse as people started having more interaction, uh, especially in mirror matches. So I don't necessarily recommend that right now. And then there's the one that tries to like ultimate him into big stuff plus Kenrith or Terror of the Peaks, and I, I tried that for a little bit. I think Waker of I don't know Waker of Waves, whatever the whale is. Like that that is a card that people should be trying because Beanstalk Giant kind of stinks, and that's like another big thing that you can ultimatum into alongside Kenrith to potentially uh, OTK them. I don't know. That list has a lot of cards that are just like kind of bad, and you're banking on your ultimatums to actually hit those relevant things rather than to just be like a draw five. So I don't necessarily like that. And I, th- I think the way to go now is just four Felidar Retreats and one Kenrith, because with Retreat, you can build a big enough board position to insulate yourself against opposing people trying to Kenrith Beanstalk trying you. And that's kind of the main thing. It's like you can, you can half go off, but as long as you ensure that you don't die, that means you get another turn to use all your mana again. And I think that Felidar Retreat just making a lot of bodies, a lot of power and toughness... Uh, ensures that you do get that on tap.
1: I also like it because it feels like it's filling up some of that space. So the old pre-ban Omnath deck was so good because it was good at every possible game plan. And losing Uro weakened some of your ability to play against resource denial and your ability to win long games. I think that faded a little bit when you lost Uro. I feel like Felidar Retreat can occupy some of that same space. And particularly as they're develop very fair decks that are attempting to play against you. Things like Blue-Black Control or Zorius Control, anything that's really just like content playing a long game against Uro, or excuse me, against Omnath. I really like having access to Felidar Retreat in those matchups as well.
0: Yeah, it's like a sideboard card in your main deck, basically, because a lot of people yep. would sideboard that or Maze Mind Tome or Shark Typhoon, where it's this, this hard to deal with threat uh, for control matchups. And then this means that I have a lot of cards in my sideboard like I can go the Bone Crusher Giant, uh, Elder Gargaroth plan against any sort of aggressive deck which has been really good for me. You still have a bunch of counter spells for mirror matches and control decks and then I even get uh, Maze Mind Tome to help me grind. So being able to put a sideboard card in your main deck is also uh, it's it's really effective, right? Because it just means that you have a lot of slots to do the things that you need to do and this deck does uh, shift gears a lot in post board games.
1: Uh, also, more basics, please, everyone. I, I some no, of the it, numbers, it depends. It depends. I have seen such bad numbers on basics in so many lists where I'm just like cast, casting my second cultivate, and I'm like, well, this card doesn't do anything
0: anymore. It depends on your list. If you're not playing so many cultivates, then it doesn't matter, right? Like, of course, our, of course, our, our original list didn't have cultivate, uh, because we were trying to combo with Dryad and stuff, so we had 35 right. lands instead. And that meant that we could play six basics total and not run out from Fable Passage. But yeah, if you're playing like Evolving Wilds and Cultivate, which you need reasons to have both of those cards in your deck. Like I'm trying to play more of a fair game and be good against resource denial and stuff like that. So like Cultivate is very good there and also continues to give you land drops for Felidar Retreat or if you're doing the crab thing. So yeah, I I agree with your sentiment that you should have enough basics for your version, but it's not like every version should play 12 basics or whatever like that's
1: just no good Good point but I, i've just seen too many versions that are playing a larger number of cultivates or a bunch of beanstalks or like evolving wilds and don't have anywhere near enough basics because you run out pretty early in the game
0: yeah no i i agree with that completely and the mm. reason that i don't want as many basics in general uh is so that you can have like uh abc on turn three so that you can like cultivate get the missing piece and then be able to play Omnath on four and then a land, right? And when you're playing like five islands and five forests, the chances are too high that you just have two of those early. And then on turn four, you would have to like play your land and then play Omnath and not get the life. And like the life matters a lot against aggro. So like that's, there's a give and take, right? And I want to play as few basics as possible, but definitely play as many that are necessary, so it's right a now, really tight
1: balance, and that's part of like the challenge with these decks, is just getting all of these tiny things right. And if you told me nobody has done it thus far, I, I would probably believe you.
0: Yeah, my, my confidence level is pretty low, and certainly after playing the hundreds of matches that I have, normally my confidence level would be very high. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's just like there's, there's too many things, and things change on the daily, you know whatever was good when we record this podcast on Thursday might not be good when this podcast goes up on Friday, you know? So absolutely. Anyway, uh, other things, uh, I said 20 minutes and now we're at 26, but we tried, we did try. So, uh, there's a list of things that I have played with and a list of things that I have not played with. I'm not going to be tier listing this or anything. I just want to talk about like pros and cons of, of each deck basically and I I guess we can start with mono red, which is not a deck that I have actually played with, but one that I've played against a lot and I hate losing to you put me on to bone crusher giant uh, a while back when I was just like trying to red cat melee or like thundering rebuke or whatever. And you're, you're hundred percent right. Obviously like the, the games where you bone crusher giant them are just night and day because you get a clean two for one. And in the case of, the Bone Crusher Giant itself, they actually struggle to get through it some of the time. So if you want to fight Monored specifically, uh, you know, Bone Crusher Giant is the way to do it. And I, I think that I have a good plan against it now, but like the, the deck has has been scary from the Omnath side and a lot of people are playing it. So presumably it's doing quite well, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. It, it's nowhere near a free win. Like we kind of assumed because we had all this life gain they would never really be able to challenge us. But the burst damage Mono Red is capable of creating is a big deal. Lists look all over the place right now. I've seen so many different builds of Mono Red, but they all have some feature that's just like do a load of damage out of nowhere. Often Embercleave, Tor Brand's another one that's just produced, capable of producing a lot of damage. But your point to Bone Crusher Giant being the card is very, very true because they will have their Bone Crusher Giants. And I can't tell you. In, in a format full of very frustrating things sometimes, one of the most frustrating things is trying to play against a deck with a bunch of adventures when you don't have adventures. Yep. Because it just feels like they have so many cards. Like, I've been playing a lot of blue black over the last few days and playing against Bone Crusher Giant. Like, Bone Crusher Giant shouldn't be a meaningful card against you. There's no real good targets, it's just a 4 3. It really shouldn't be that impressive. But the raw number of cards, it feels like they have in those situations. And, like, they find a way to just squeak that little bit of value out of the two damage. Or they just two you and then play a four three, which is, like, acceptable. And I'm running out of resources before my mono red opponents are in a lot of instances. And it just speaks to the power of Bonecrusher Giant and what a good, good magic card it is.
0: Right. And one of my experiences... Uh, from playing a lot of these creature based decks is that bone crusher giant is basically a nightmare and I don't know, playing mono green, which even doesn't even have that many targets that bone crusher kills uh, or any sort of adventure deck or any sort of like robber of the rich deck. It's just, it feels so bad and puts you so far behind that a lot of the games seem out of reach initially to the point where I tend to try and like lean harder on the engines of these decks and just be like, well, I guess since, you know, playing rule Adventures, right? It's like you get Bonecrusher Giant early and it it just feels like there's no way that you can produce 20 damage. And so it's like, well, I guess I have to like Great Henge them or something and then like lean into that. But you're just like a a bad Great Henge deck, right? Because you're trying to be aggressive too. So I, I don't know what the correct play is. I think... A lot of the aggro people out there would just tell you to, like, you know, try and fight through it and not go the engine route on things. And I think that that's probably the correct call after spending days trying to build like these aggro decks that can fight through Bone Crusher.
1: Yeah. Right before we recorded, I saw over on Twitter, Aaron Barrish shared a list. And, you know, we take her opinion on mono red stuff very, very highly. She posited that you could basically make sure your two drop slot isn't vulnerable to bone crusher giant and benefit that way and was playing like Chandra's pyro what's what's the little chandra creature
0: Chandra's like, pyroling and Megmanic channeler
1: correct which i thought was really interesting i i don't know if those cards are going to actually have the raw damage output that you need to be able to get online before something like omnath just comes and ruins your day but it, it does speak to exactly what the problem is for aggressive decks and what you should be doing if you're at the Omnath deck to challenge these aggressive decks. It's, it's about Bone Crusher Giant. Early in the season, I had a black-white party slash humans list I was pretty excited about. It looked nice. The creatures were individually powerful, had a varied slate of game plans. I was into it and I played it and then someone cast a bone crusher Giant against me and I have not played that deck since because yeah. it, it's just that damning. Like coming back from that kind of swing is not possible for a lot of creature decks.
0: And it's uh, so stupid to me too because Bone Crusher is supposed to be a card that's like good for mono red or aggressive decks, right? It's like you get this threat that can either deal a little bit of chip damage or give you a little bit of card advantage. And I like that. And then it just ends up being so oppressive against the aggro decks. If you gave me
1: a magic wand... And okay, so let's 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 put two factors on this. You give me a magic wand to fix some magic cards that have troubled us over the past however many months, uh, but you say they all have to remain and they're all going to be legal. So obviously, there's some I'd like to just eat off the face of the earth, but they're going to stick yeetus. around. Yeah, I'd like to give them the big Yetus treatment, let the hammer swing a bit, but I can't do that. One of the big changes I would make to a lot of cards is just way lower toughness. Like I want them to be vulnerable to way more things so you can profitably interact with them. And I always said that was the problem with Uro. Like I think Uro should have been a bad attacker. I think it should have died in most instances where it attacked to almost ridiculous degrees. Like I wouldn't have hated Uro as like a 6-3. That makes some sense to me that that's supposed to be its role. I understand like Titans are supposed to be six sixes. I don't care. Make the best functional magic card. But Bone Crusher Giant is another one that I think it should probably be a little bit weaker on the back end. Uh, because if it dies, you're punishing your opponent anyway, like they're taking some damage. And that would allow aggro decks to do a more effective job of pushing through it. So if it was like a 4-2 and could get dinged by shock, or even like a 4-1 and you could Spyfield field hazard it, I think those cards are way more interesting and instill some real weaknesses uh in a card that otherwise just shuts down aggro.
0: I, I had this thought uh a couple days ago, actually, and it was like, would it would it actually be better as a four two because then you're not incentivized to just like run it out because it then dies to their bone crusher. It would and trick
1: th- you into playing properly.
0: Uh, I think it would trick you into playing improperly. Okay. Because like I, I th- so like you pass on turn two and they pass on turn two in like mono red mirror right. I think bone crushering face and then casting it is a completely reasonable play because they can't bone crusher you back right. and I, I I think like giving bone crusher less toughness would would have those weird play patterns where it's just like i guess we just can't play things you know and i i I think making them you know not vulnerable to each other is good but okay yeah it it being just super cheap and high toughness makes it so good against aggro so i don't know i would just find a different way to have bone crusher like even if it's just like it does face damage and doesn't target creatures or whatever you know
1: yeah, yeah. Make it more geared towards the aggro side of things as opposed to the aggro killer.
0: Well, I that's, that's what I'm saying, is I think it was supposed to be good for aggro decks, and then it just ends up beating them. Yeah. Which is really sad. Yeah. Anyway, Mono Red is still good, because there are a lot of ways for you to continue to push through damage, and Annex makes it so it's pretty reasonably easy to maintain a board position. You know, you have mm-hmm. a little bit of that sticky thread in there. You have a, a decent amount of haste. You have Ember Cleaves that are obviously, like, very good, very solid. The the burn spells in the interaction are not quite as good as I would like them to be. And I, I've had... Like obviously, this happens playing Omnath, but like even with a lot of other decks, where like they just board in like a bunch of Scorching Dragon Fires and Thundering Rebukes and like Royal Eruptions or not Royal Eruption, the Royal Vortex, right? Just like all these cards that like don't really progress your game plan, and I think you yep. need some amount of them. I think Thundering Rebuke is quite good, but a lot of the other stuff is just like don't dilute your deck, don't try and play a longer game with people. Just do do the red thing. This isn't. Like experimental frenzy mono red, or uh, even like Koth mono red, right? It's like th- this ga- This deck is not built with the capacity for going long. You have a cum hellhound in your deck, right? Right. Like just do the thing that your deck is supposed to be good good at, and figure out a way to do that the best possible. I think to to Aaron's deck list, I just looked at it. It does it does look good. It it makes sense. Uh, dodging bone crusher giant. I mean. One of the reasons I liked Mono Green was that it mostly dodged bone crusher. Sure, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, if if you had like Borkai Troll as a two-drop, I'd be way more about it. But I think going in that direction might help, but it also detracts from what your deck is supposed to be doing in, in the first place, which is just trying to goldfish on turn four, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like every everyone else, there's a balancing act to do. Uh, we're still figuring out the constraints and getting these lists right. Going to be tough, but I do believe Monored has a build that will appropriately challenge Omnath in its default state, which will be what I'm saying basically through all of this. If you want to win against Monored as Omnath, you probably can do so. It just doesn't seem like the priority right now.
0: No, you have to work for it, for sure. But the tools are there for them to do it, so... Just depends on what matters to them. Uh, The other one was uh, Mono Green. I I played that for a decent amount. I spent a bunch of, (laughs) you know, rare wild cards building this deck, which is kind of frustrating because now I want them back. Uh, But the, the deck is not bad. And it is capable of doing some really powerful stuff. And it's an aggro deck that dodges a lot of commonly played removal and gets to play Ram Through and Primal Might. So it has a bunch of removal itself. You can lean pretty hard into the Great Henge to have a long game because Zondu Mammoth is awesome as both a land and a big threat and curves pretty well into the Great Henge. So it's got a lot going for it. It's just like you don't don't really have the reach. You don't have Embercleave. If the the board gets locked up, it just kind of gets locked up. But it is funny to me that there are just a lot of games against like Adventures, for example, where you start – using great Henge to play out a bunch of stuff and you can potentially just run them on a gas and sit behind like big stone coil serpents that brick wall, like they're beanstalk giants. And eventually you find like some primal mites to kill them. Like it does feel kind of good to be able to do that from an aggro deck, but that pro is also a con in that, you know, you don't have like the super explosive draws that red does.
1: Yeah. I, I think the green decks role will be to beat up on decks that become a little, inbred in trying to attack the Omnath decks. For instance, I mentioned I've been playing a bunch of Demir uh, in several forms and I get rolled by green at this point. Like they just absolutely stomp me because I'm not building my deck with them in mind. Again, I, I think I could, but is anyone really doing that in the present scenario? I think you get a passable Omnath matchup and then you get to really exploit the folks who are going very hard after the Omnath deck. So that's not a bad place to be in. You just need a little bit more diversity to the metagame. If I had a tournament, you couldn't talk me into mono green at this point. I would need to see some more diversity from the field ahead of time. It's going to be real interesting to see what numbers look like on omnath when we head to this grand finals, which I think is a split format tournament, right? It's half historic, half standard. Yeah. So, and it's only
0: 32 players too. So yeah.
1: So we're going to get some weird information out of that one, but that's really the next big look we have at the standard format. Uh, no SCG tournaments right now. They're figuring out what's going on for season three. Uh, Channel Fireball hasn't started their new tournament series quite yet. So we're really hurting for information right now, actually. Dude, we have the magic.gg deck dumps. <sighs> yeah. Uh, someone asked when we were going to do the
0: magic.gg deck dump show. Answer, we're probably not because yeah. there's there's a lot of like, you know, four Windsguard crags to Temple of Triumph. Uh, deck lists in there and I what like the think, what do you think is happening
1: like do you do you think they're actually pulling six win decks or is there something wrong with their algorithm or is there just like that I, many games of magic being played that even these just unplayable decks will eventually get their six win streak
0: I mean I think that if they posted like all of the decks that win six oh at some point there would be way more decks in that deck dump Oh, uh, unquestionably. unquestionably. So, so, this is, this so, is so, like a sampling. Yeah. Okay. So something, yeah, something has to be either wrong with their algorithm or they skewed way towards more like budget decks or something. I, I find it very hard to believe that that is a correct sampling. Uh, they could also try just doing like diamond and mythic instead of like plat and up. But I don't yeah, know. It, it,
1: it doesn't work as it stands right now, basically, is the answer to that. We're, we're not going to be using that as a source of information. I mean, you can look at them and maybe you'll poach a cool idea from time to time but uh they are not representative of high quality deck building right now
0: let me let me just say that i would rather go through our twitter account and talk about the decks on there but i will also note that we're not getting like a mass amount of submissions Mm. you know it's like a, a few per day or whatever which doesn't really make for an entire cast and if people have decks that they're trying and are winning with and have like a decent sample size. I mean, like, please, please tweet at us. Like give us, give us things to make content out of. Absolutely. Anyway, what were we talking about?
1: (laughs) We were talking about mono green. Yeah. Somehow we've gotten to the (laughs) arena deck dump from there, but I think that brings us next to,
0: we need more information basically is what what you're saying. And yeah, we're we're probably not going to have it for a while. So tweet at us, let us know what, what you're winning with. Uh, similar to Mono Green, we have Gruul Adventures, which kind of does some of the same engine-y stuff, uh, but is also a beat downy Embercleave deck. And I think, I, I know that this is like a deck that people play and it is relatively popular, but it seems like worse than Mono Green and worse than Mono Red to me.
1: It's trying to do both. And usually when you try and do multiple things, unless you have some kind of absurd glue, like say Uro or Omnath. Uh, you're going to get very uneven draws. I think the best draws for this deck shine beyond what mono red or mono green are capable of. So that leads people to embrace it. You remember those games where you do the really powerful things and you feel absolutely unstoppable and your adventures are triggering all over the place with your lucky clovers and all kinds of nonsense like that or you're you're an edge walling keeper yeah yeah not lucky clover in this instance but you you remember the snowballs that you're getting from gruel adventures not really the games where you sit there with two very separate parts of your deck so while the power power level is sky high i want a little bit more consistency out of this archetype and it goes to the mana base as well i mean we've said plenty about the weakness of gruel's mana base
0: it's still not quite there yeah, it, you get a little help because, well, sort of, I mean, if you want to call this help, you get Spike Field Hazard, Shatter Skull Smashing, Kazandu Mammoth. All those cards are good and help you have the requisite amount of mana sources. But you're still, I don't know, really, you're you're requesting Beast Embercleave deck, right? Like, you're yeah. you're still trying col- to do colors both. Colors are tough. Colors yeah, colors tough. And
1: even the pathways, like, getting an untapped pathway is huge, but you need both colors of mana in
0: this right. deck. Right, Exactly. So there are so many turns where you have, like, red, red, green, green, and it's like, oh, well, I wanted to do, you know, love struck Beast, Innkeeper, plus, like, other green spell or whatever, and you just can't. Yeah. So it, it is tough. Uh, I, I will say that the average card quality is much higher than mono red. Yep. But I don't think that that really counts for anything, because... When you're an Embercleave deck specifically, I mean, I I just want to be low to the ground and do my thing. You know, I don't necessarily need to like cleave Questing Beast, right? You just don't have to do that.
1: Right. If I believe that Embercleave is a successful strategy in the metagame, then there's a lean way to do it. I'm not necessarily trying to do it the big way.
0: Yeah. I will say that I, I tried the low to the ground version that most people are playing. And then I tried like a Great Henge version of this because... So, like, you already have Innkeeper, so maybe you can do the stuff that Mono Green does uh, and just, like, lean into the engine aspect of it. And that works fine. And it was also cool that you could Great Henge with, like, Robber of the Rich and Embercleave and, like, you know, have this engine-y thing that also had Haste creatures, which is, like, kind of the problem with Monogreen. Green. Sure and i like obviously mono green could play questing beast too right but like questing beast on its face just like doesn't line up well against a lot of decks but uh no, another thing about mono green too i guess that i should mention is that it gets to play gem Razor, which kills lucky clover which is maybe going to be a big part of the meta game going forward and there aren't a lot of good ways to kill clover
1: There really aren't and i find myself begrudgingly putting wilts in my sideboard and then casting them and being like, well, that didn't matter at all. Like if this is what I'm going to resign myself to, I may as well just try and play over the top of lucky clover rally rather than challenging the card itself.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, it's tearing the Omnath or whatever yeah. they, they already yeah. got a use out of it. You're already so far behind. It's not like you traded up on mana, or you got some other advantage out of it. You know, in, in the case of Gem Razor, that's different because you're, you're still contributing to the board somewhat. And white has Skyclave Apparition, which should help, but all the white cards are really bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, haven't found much inroads with that one. I tried. I really did. I've, tr- I've tried all kinds of weird Skyclave Apparition decks. There's one I'm a little bit higher on than others, which we'll, we'll get to later on but I haven't had a home run yet when it comes to my white decks.
0: Yeah, th- th- there should be a deck for Skyclave and Archon of Vimeria because Archon's also just very, very good against everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. With everyone doing like engine y y things, a lot of people are trying to play multiple spells per turn and this kind of slows them down, shuts them down. And that would be like a great white splash, I think, in some other aggro deck, but like the mana cost on Apparition is too prohibitive. So it just doesn't really quite work out.
1: Yeah, I tried. I, I had a deck that looked so cool. I was so enthused about it on its face. Like, it was exactly the style of magic I wanted to play. It made sense for what was going on in the format. Basically, like, it felt like a mid range deck from four years ago. It was like Skyclave Shade into Maul the Skyclave and then Apparition, Emeria, all all this stuff that, like, should be able to disrupt everything else that's going on. And then you draw your hand and you're like, wait, these are all the cards I get for this entire game? And right. Adventures has double cards all over the place, so they will outcard quantity me very easily. And then there's the card advantage engines in the Omnath deck, like Escape to the Wilds. And then you're just like, how do I piece wins together out of just the five spells I will cast in this game? It's not possible. It's not realistic, given what the rest of the format does.
0: Well, most of the aggro decks, if, if they're not playing an engine, they have some push, at least for the successful ones. You know, it's mm. like Great, Great Henge is an engine, but most of the time you're just like, well, I need to like big a, build a big board and attack you. And that's a thing that it helps you do. But then there's like Embercleave and Winota. And I think right. the thing that black decks have to lean on is Rankle, which is it's good. It's just not in the same league as those other things. It's not.
1: No, that was my whole setup. Skyclave, Shade, Rankle, all those synergies. Are, they're good. And then you like a little agonizing remorse. Got some disruption going on. I could play a giant killer and maybe kill an Omnath once in a while. And then the black removal is pretty good. Like Heartless Act, Bloodchief's Thirst. Those cards are all acceptable. And you start. you see where my mind's going. Like I'm putting all this stuff together and I'm like, yeah, this feels like you know, it's a little old, a little outdated, but it it does feel like it has the right pieces. Like this is how I would build a new deck to attack and establish metagame going back four or five years ago. Like you could successfully build a mid-range deck that looks something like this when you knew exactly what you were going up against. Yep. You can't do that anymore. You just get out card quality so hard.
0: Yeah, card quality and card advantage too. Yep. But regardless, if you're doing black things, I, th- I think you just need to play Fort Rankle and have a low enough mana curve where you can really take advantage of that card. I think that's the way to go. Sure. But still not good enough. Anyway, four-color adventures. Uh, This showed up in one of the Japanese Red Bull untapped qualifiers, I believe is the first place. And then... First
1: place I saw it was Emma Handy. She was the first person to share this list. And I I think that was the genesis of it showing up in the Japanese qualifiers. I don't know that for sure. It could be parallel development. But I, I think I remember her tweeting about it prior to it showing up in any tournament. And I, I, it's funny you say that because I actually don't think she's gotten the credit she deserves for this deck if that is in fact where it first showed up because this has kind of exploded as the new Omnath deck, I think.
0: Yeah, I I never saw her tweet, so I, I blame Twitter. Mm-hmm, Twitter's I fault. Didn't, I didn't know that. But uh, regardless, Michael Bonda won a Magic Online PTQ with it. And then that's when I started seeing it all over the place on Arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this deck is weird. Like, it it kind of does similar things to the normal Omnath decks, where you ramp super hard with Clover and Beanstalk. Now, oh, I guess Escape to the Wilds, too. I mean, that's a big part of it. Uh, now you have Omnath to do, like, Omnath into Escape to the Wilds sort of things. And then you just, Fae of Wishes to to pick up the pieces. And... This deck does a pretty good job of disrupting the actual Omnath decks and then going over the top of them, uh, especially since they don't really run out of gas and Omnath can't really answer their clovers or anything. This looked for a while to be like the de facto, like best Omnath deck, especially since it just didn't play Uro. And I think people have moved away from it since then. I don't really know why. And my experience with this deck is that it's very good but since it doesn't really have a sideboard, I couldn't really see a reason to play it in best of three instead of best of one. Hmm. So I was playing it in best of one and everyone else had the same idea. I was only running into mirror matches or mono red. right? Oh, that so, nightmarish. Yeah. So now I think the play, if you want to uh, grind the ladder and just exploit things, is to play some sort of adventures deck with a couple Embereth shield breakers in the main deck.
1: Okay, so just challenge the metagame. Are you speaking specifically best of one at this best point?
0: Of, best of one, yeah, because okay. the, the metagame there is actually exploitable, right? Yeah. So I think that gives you a, a big enough edge in in the actual mirror matches. Like if you can remove their clovers and it costs them like 10 mana to remove your clover, I, I think you're set up really well. And you have so much gas that having like one dead card usually doesn't matter all that much. Yeah. So I, I think that's a way to do it. And if I want to like hit Mythic quickly or whatever, I'd probably try and do that.
1: So there's an omnath hierarchy, I think. Uh you posited that this version might go over the top of the more default versions. I don't know if I buy that. I think like the ultimatum turns that the other version has, especially if you are building, like if you know this is how you're going to be targeted and you're trying to maximize your ultimatum turns, I think it then becomes very easy to restructure the Omnat deck in a way to challenge this adventurous deck. Even like Felidar Retreat, I think does a good job of that as well. It's possible you just overwhelm their defenses or set up your defenses appropriately where like, you know, their fling turns aren't lethal anymore and you're able to play through that. So maybe when people were unprepared for this particular take, I would have given the edge to the Omnath version of Adventures versus just straight Omnath. I'm not sure that tracks anymore.
0: Well, this is one of the examples of the Thassa's Oracle kill condition not being good enough because this deck plays way too much interaction for you to actually, you know, stick all your Lotus Cobras and, you know, stick Dryads and stuff like that. So that's not really viable here. I do agree that ultimatum into like three big things can potentially beat them. But again, you know, they could just have like Clover giant killer and take all the wind out of your sails. And that's, that's been my problem with it. But I agree that ultimatum is, is like your best card uh, for sure. But I don't know what the best way to actually take advantage of that is. Maybe it's retreat, but it does seem too small ball against them because they also have the bodies from, like Lovestruck Beast and Bonecrusher Giant, Beanstalk Giant's very big. Like you have to go like pretty wide and pretty tall, which means that you need to have like some really impactful ultimatums.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're just supposed to try and one-turn them with like a Kenrith setup and and that's how you can get ahead. But you're right, if they do all their setup stuff, they have a lot of interaction. They can even go grab like Negates from the sideboard and challenge your ultimatum if they're given enough time. So you really have to be, I guess, more linear than I would prefer you know, hard cultivate, headed right down the line to ultimatum as fast as possible. If the metagame pushes you to do that anyway, because of the broader constraints, then I think this deck might get squeezed a
0: little bit. And and one thing I'm also interested in with these adventure decks is just trying to trim a little bit of the fat in the sideboard and make it so you have actual sideboard cards, because Mm -hmm. right now they just have mystical dispute and that's about it. And there are a lot of wish targets that go unused and I think are not really necessary that you could use to bolster mono red or Omnath or Clover mirror matches and stuff like that. So if if you can try and do that, uh, I think that would help too. Yeah.
1: It feels in a lot of way like those are holdovers from the old just team or adventures list before they had Omnath where they really, you had to be able to play around everything. Like you just intended to play the longest game possible Now that you've added the explosiveness of Omnath to the deck, I'm not sure it's quite as necessary to be so thorough in your sideboard preparation.
0: Yeah. And I guess like Teamer Adventures, we can lump in together with this and also talk about it. I think there's a possibility that you could do what I was talking about in Best of One with Teamer and just have like better mana, maybe play a couple great engines at the top end. So you have ways to break up their Clover and have more engines. And then you could like maybe really dominate the adventures Mirror match. But Omnath and Giant Killer overall are just like very big adds to the deck. I mean, if you've ever Omnath Fable Passage Escaped in the Wilds, like, you know, what's up, right? Yep. We've all done it at this point. But if if there's a metagame where Giant Killer is not good, which is kind of the case in Best of One, at least from what I've seen, then I think it it makes sense to also like go back to Teamer and try that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to the mill portion of the show, which is where you get to talk, Brian. I've I played a little bit with a few different versions, but you went way harder on this deck than I did.
1: Yeah, I don't know why I did this to myself. For whatever reason, Ruin Crab caught my eye. And a lot of it was based around the Ruin Crab Omnath decks that started popping up and doing well last week. And uh, I played with them a bit, pretty underwhelmed. I just didn't think it was the best way to do Omnath stuff. If you are playing a tournament that's like 75% Omnath, I understood exactly why you wanted to do it. Uh, It just seemed like there were better ways to implement these plans. And I started looking at them and came up with like weird combo-y stuff, again, based around Nihiri's Lithoforming, which is a card I just can't get away from. Um, It's good. It's powerful. It was very explosive. Uh, Some turn four wins and... Some of the inconsistency you would expect from such an archetype. So I moved on to just a little bit more crab focused build and then building hard around Song of Creation. Again, some really impressive stuff. And I, I actually think this deck is quite good and it could benefit from some people investing some time in it because there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Essentially, the setup is just a good number of adventure creatures, uh, ruined crabs, Song of Creation, fairy's Tutelage. And into the story and you just get to draw a very large portion of your deck and your opponent often dies and you don't interact with them all that much you're pretty uh linear and just going in one direction but you do have things like say brazen borrower or or if you want bone crusher giant uh, merfolk secret keeper to block not the most impressive group of (laughs) blockers you could ever put together Uh, but you killed really quickly so if the metagame focused more on mid-range stuff, I really like that setup. And then the deck I'm presently working on, it's its just basically Demir Control, except instead of trying to find a way to win the game, I just play four Ruined Crabs, four Teferi's Tutelage. And then the thing about that is that's a big package to win the game. Like, you know me, when I'm building control decks, I want very compact packages and I want to focus on my key cards. But... When you play those eight cards in conjunction with each other, number one, your clock gets really good. You start winning a bunch of games on turn nine, turn 10, which is meaningful for a control deck. That's way earlier than they typically are ready to move to the endgame phase. But more importantly, you unlock some really good cards. Drown in the Lock, in particular, should be an all-star, and maybe still will be, It's seems, playing a few places now. But when you can do that reliably in your Demir control deck, it's just one of the best cards you can possibly have access to. Uh, and then Into the Story is the other big get, where I really wanted a source of hard card advantage for my Demira control decks anyway, and maybe was close to just like starting to play some Into the Stories and letting them go long. But when you turbocharge them, it gets real good. And then when you're able to use it as a combo kill with your Teferi's tutelage, there's all kinds of payoffs you get. Uh, you can't rely on just that. As I've spent more time with the archetype, I've moved really hard into Maze Mind Tome as well. So it's a, just basically... Bunch of removal spells, bunch of counter spells. You have your mill stuff, and then Maze Mind Tome into the story to draw cards and some flexibility in your mana base with modal double face cards. And I've been quite pleased with the deck. Like I said, some some weaknesses, stuff like mono green, I'm just not set up to beat right now. But in terms of playing against Omneth been very satisfied there, you know, stealing my games against Mono Red. And then in the control mirrors, I just think you're extremely well positioned because you're using a very cheap win condition that costs you no setup whatsoever. Whereas they need to stick something like, you know, whatever they're trying to win with, Ashiok, or in some cases, uh, Nighthawk Scavenger, whatever it is, it's a more robust commitment to the battlefield than something like Ruin Crab.
0: Right, and my experience basically tracks with yours. I tried a bunch of different versions. Uh, there was like a Luris version where they were trying to kill with Madden and Cacophony and uh, Thieves Guild Enforcer, but Tavares Tutelage is just so powerful, especially alongside into the story that I just I don't really see a world where you could play without it. Now, if you wanted to play a lot of that smaller stuff too and just function like a burn deck, you can just play some Lurrus's main deck. You know, that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. but I, I like the idea of not necessarily doing the compact win condition thing because I spent some time on Demir Control even as recently as last night and trying to kill people with like a 5-5 shark through 40 life and when they have a bunch of like top decks that just like win the game outright and it's stuff bad. like that. it's Yeah, it's not great. It's like, it's why I was doing Thassa's Oracle as the win condition in Omnath instead of trying to like beanstalk people. It's just like the games are messy. Because there's a lot of different win conditions, like a lot of power and toughness just on the battlefield a lot of the time. And it can be really difficult to to win through a lot of those situations with just like a 5-5 flyer. You know, you basically have to like keep them at zero and that's difficult. And the mill decks are just like, well, I'll disrupt you a little bit, stop you from doing your busted stuff, but like kind of ignore what you're doing and sort of, you know, burn you out. With crab and tutelage, and I think that that game plan is just so much better right now. Like try, try killing four color adventures with a shark typhoon. You know, good luck. Not happening. Good luck. No, just not happening. I also love the fact
1: that you know we talked a lot about people not playing enough basics. You get messed up by Ruin Crab in some scenarios where you just don't have what you need. Like It's not your A plan, but it feels good when you pick up something that like they're counting on being able to fetch this land, and they do the slow pause where they're just in their library for way too long, and you're like, oh, they don't have the land they need right here.
0: No, you mill their planes at at various... Like That's happened to me when playing Omnath, and I'm just like, really? Like, come on. And that kind of messes you up, or yeah, you're setting up for this big turn where you need to fetch your last island or whatever to make a bunch of mana with cobra or omnath or something and just like your land gets milled and uh, yeah you're right that's not something you should bank on but it is just like happy side benefit but at the same time there are some downsides to that too because like people are playing a lot of escape stuff for rogues and yep a lot of that stuff isn't super threatening against you but even opponents that have like cling to the dust and they get to like Cling their own thing while also exiling a bunch of cards from their graveyard means that, like, you're into the stories and drowning the locks are much less effective. So,
1: yeah, there's there's real problems here, and I I think that goes back to the point I made earlier in the cast where it's like, I like these decks. I, I can see metagames that they do a good job of attacking, but every deck has like. A little tiny flaw that you're just like uh, oh, there's this thing going on except one which is just way more powerful than everything else and seems to be the correct direction to go right now but to your point I-, I am playing some cling to the dust to try and deal with escape stuff sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't escape cards are a real problem for you i will say though if i had a really good metagame read like going into this finals tournament uh this this is the deck that i think you could benefit a lot from spending some time tuning and really getting to a place where you have all of your matchups figured out, you know what everyone's doing against you, and you just have solid plans across because the big thing you have to check off, the omnath decks, I think your plan is very good against them.
0: Yeah, I, I think if I just expected there to be like 80% omnath, I would look at the song of creation tutelage into the story, grab one. Sure. Just because I think you you go off way harder, you know? And yeah. it's possible for the Demir one, you know, maybe they have a bunch of like thundering rebukes to interact with uh, mirror matches and adventures and they have like wilts for clovers. Those just end up being good against your tutelages. They have their own card advantage in maze mind tone, their own counter spells. Like I can see how they could pick you apart, you know? Right. And yeah. especially, especially against adventures too. Like, you know, they, they actually have brazen borrower. they can uh, bounce tutelage and maybe yeah. delay you or give them time to find like an actual answer.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's another instance where I really felt the pain of playing no adventures in my deck against the deck that had adventures just against like Brazen Borrower. It's like, okay, you've gotten your value from the bounce portion of this. And now I also have to deal with this creature. And like, I'm, I'll am i draw eight extra cards of this game with my Into the Stories, but still it feels like you're up on cards on me, even though you haven't actually drawn any cards.
0: Well, uh, y- yeah, they they also like don't have to spend the mana... To get that card advantage like you do, so you're yep. maybe you're up a couple cards in general, but they've they've accomplished a lot, right? And they're generating extra mana with Clover Beanstalk Giant and Escape to the Wilds and Omnath. So you might be up a couple cards, but you're way down on mana spent over the course of the game for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. One interesting thing to, I want to point out to in case you do want to explore this archetype, uh, I I think you should build your sideboard, contemplating the idea that you may have to win without milling anyone at all uh meaning you want spots where you could bring in possibly like 12 cards and i did that against a red black sacrifice deck that had croxa and fiend artisan and i'm like well i can't mill this deck (laughs) like that's not going to work out well for me Uh, it was also like four call of the death dweller and it it was an absolute disaster so i get stomped in game one and then boarded out all of the mill stuff and became uh nighthawk deck and it was fine it was was an acceptable like blue black mid-range deck and they felt very soft to me and i won pretty easily from that point uh but i would be open to the idea of having sideboard shifts in case there are really hostile portions of the metagame against you
0: yeah when i was playing the the super small version uh even though i had like 20 mill cards in my deck i was still trying to do stuff like that where it's like all right i'll keep the crabs. And the Secret Keepers, because they sort of block against Mono Red, but I'm mostly right. just like a Nighthawk control deck because this is going to help me stabilize and race them better than like Maddening Cacophony would, so.
1: Right. Uh, One of the reasons I think t- to prefer the smaller package is that it's more realistic to make shifts like that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I am I'm super off the, just like being a, a Lurus companion deck because I, I don't think it, that that gives you enough room to actually shift. And again, Tutelage actually kills people quickly, whereas Thieves Guild Enforcer doesn't. Right. Actual Demir control. I played a decent amount with this last night and it's not bad. Uh, It's okay. That's my read too. Essence scatter and negates are very, very good. Neutralize is passable. You have okay card advantage engines. So, I I mean, you saw the Omnath decks kind of like do this plan where they just have a bunch of cheap, cheap counter spells and card drawing. And like, that's a good plan in the mirror match and Demir control basically gets to do the same thing. And then, uh, I was trying a bunch of different stuff for wind conditions. I had one Zarethson, one Gadwick, four Shark Typhoons, two Crawling Barons, and you know you can play Ashiok. That card's fine too. Uh, there's there's like a lot of different ways that you could go about killing people. I would not recommend Lockmere Serpent though. That card's pretty bad.
1: Nothing has really put me over the top on this deck as far as a wind condition goes. It, it just feels like uh, every game is so hard, and I'm so like old and tired and beaten by 2020. And I'm just like, uh, can I just win very easily? And (laughs) I think that might've been what pushed me towards like the mill setups where it's like, okay, if I just draw cards, you'll eventually die. And I don't have to give any more thought to this. And it's really hard to kill your opponent with the demure control deck. And you have to control, like you said, basically every portion of the game. So it's frustrating. You can't find just a really clean snapped off win condition. Uh, Maybe we have to go a little deeper and really give thought about what we're trying to do to take over a game, but nothing has popped out to me yet.
0: Yeah. A, a lot of the games were, I, you know, I hope my opponent is very weak to shark typhoon. And yeah. so, you know, sometimes that happens. Some, some, sometimes it doesn't, there were, uh, there was a match I played against an Omneth deck where they had main deck retreat. And that was kind of tough because they just like went Cobra into retreat. And I was on the draw with Essence scatter or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually able to win, because I was cognizant of stuff like that and lucky clover is like another huge issue card where if it resolves, you just don't have good answers to, but my plan was like, I'll play an into the Royal and hope it's good enough to like maybe bounce it at some point and then counter it on the way back down and just be like down a card. But like, that's the sacrifice you have to make. Right. So I was able to kind of like control the creatures and bounce the fell at our retreat. They eventually resolved uh, another one after I countered the first one and I was able to beat them with a couple of big sharks because they were out of resources. You know, it was like, you, you make some cats and then you pump them up. But like, if I have a five, five unblocking duty, eventually you're just going to like run out of resources to make cats. And I think a lot of that was because they didn't have cultivate, but sure. Regardless. I mean, like that's one way to do it, but yeah, if, if I were just like on the the mill plan, it's like, it's not even, not even issue. You just get to ignore stuff like Feladar retreat at least for the most part.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all all of what you described sounded very uh, challenging and draining to me. That's, it, it was. just where I'm at these days.
0: It was. I played three matches and then it was like, all right, I'm 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 kind of calling it. But uh, Crawling, Crawling Barons is another one of those cards that can sort of allow you to ignore those things. Like they have to go like pretty wide around it. And mm-hmm. a, in a deck where you're trying to counter and kill everything that your opponent does, having... Oh, like a big win condition that is low opportunity cost. It just takes up a land slot. Is pretty nice. And over the course of the game, like it it ticking up, just felt like I was manually removing counters from dark depths.
1: Yeah, crawling, crawling barons is a cool card. Uh, I played it a bit in my like colorless monument deck, and was really impressed by it. There, when your when your mana goes out of control, uh, you get a pretty huge payoff on that card. But I I really like the idea of just like having a dump for your mana and you get this threat that gets larger and larger again if this was five ten years ago i'd probably be all about this card as my condition conditioning control like it's exactly how i want to play the game i just make a drop and then invest mana into it and 20 you in one turn but i think you have to like 40 people now and i think there's always just like debris on the battlefield that you have to bash your way through. So it's less likely to be the de facto plan for blue black control, but I have seen some people try one or two and it's a powerful card. I I think it will have its place in the metagame at some point.
0: Well, I was playing more essence scatters than I thought were actually good against Omnath. You know, it's like, I, I think two is probably the correct number to play in this field where it's very, very good against a big portion of the field. And then okay against Omnath but I want to counter Omnath so much because of the four life, putting them out of reach of like sharks and stuff. So I, that was the way that I kind of approached it. Whereas like, well, if I just make sure that this gets countered every time, then maybe I can actually kill them with crawling barons and sharks. And that, that was kind of how the game's played out. Okay. Not ideal by any stretch. So I do, I am interested in, in the mill package also because I want to play drowning the lock and into the story. Like those, those cards seem so much better than like tomes and, Splitting, negate, and scatter, and like hoping I have the right one at the right time and everything.
1: Yeah, strong magic cards when everything's going your way.
0: Yep. So that's another thing to maybe consider. Uh, Celestia Counters is a deck that popped up a little bit, and I've been watching Nick Prince stream it a decent amount, and it hasn't it hasn't really looked good. I think there was one stream where I watched him go from like Diamond One all the way back down to Diamond Four playing it, and like it it has nut draws and you have these board positions that you can create that are unwinnable for Omnath, which is good. You just, you know, with the, the Conclave two drop that adds an extra counter for every counter thing. And like Basri's mm-hmm. Lieutenant, you just make a bunch of six, sixes. Right. And if they don't have a really good ultimatum they're they're just going to get chunked to death basically. And that, that played out that way sometimes. And then Archon of a Marriott of the sideboard for Nick certainly helped a lot, but like you don't really have like that push, you know, you have, Primal Might, but, like, your things don't trample. You have uh, Skyclave Maul, but that's, like, one hit for eight, you know? It's it's not the same League as Embercleave or anything. So, Deck definitely has a lot of problems and is pretty bad just against spot removal in general. Uh, you know, you can get out of range of Bonecrusher Giant, but a lot of your stuff is still super vulnerable to it. So, it's... Like a, a deck that could be good, kind of like your your Orzhov deck, you know, maybe it'd be good like four years ago or whatever, but like not in today's metagame.
1: Yeah, I ha- I kind of hate that we default to that as a description, but it, it really feels like the best way to express these decks. They They are decks from a few years ago. They are abstractly powerful. You have put together cards in a fashion that makes them perform very well. Like you found all your pieces, you have a very coherent game plan, you're going to win some games but it just doesn't track with the bigger stuff going on
0: yeah it's uh how clerics looks too you know like i mess around with clerics a decent amount and it's like not even a thing that i want to talk about because of how bad it is it just like doesn't hold up mostly agree Uh, other thing that i've tried is rogues and a lot of people were super high to try this deck after a got banned and it's like okay fine you know you're you're kind of missing the point like you could, you could beat Uro. Uro being gone doesn't mean that this deck is good. I think that this deck is good because you have flyers and you have a clock plus disruption and you lack the push that I talked about the other aggro decks having. You can play uh, Rankle and Zerithson to Son to kind of have that, but it's not the same. Mostly you're just like, I want to assemble like five power of flyers and just counter and kill your stuff. And I think yeah. that that's a reasonable game plan. That's completely fine.
1: Yeah. So one of the things about rogues is abstractly, I like it. uh, And I've I've played with it a bit and had some success. It doesn't feel tier one to me. And a lot of it is that I don't feel like I'm ever getting paid on my large investments, like the fours and fives, uh, San and Rankle they just don't fit with what I'm trying to do and why this deck could potentially be good. So what I'm more interested in is I've seen some rebuilds that are loris decks now, and they're like super, super lean versions of the rogue package. And that seems better to me. Uh, I I think you can do more with that. You can play more counter magic and like essence scatters and punish these omnats and get ahead of them that way. And then just getting your chip damage between your your cadre of flyers that you have and and your lords. So I want to spend some more time with much leaner version of rogue's get away from rankle, get away from Zerith San. Maybe still have that as a potential sideboard plan for the spots where it's really good, but there's a lot of way to ways to punish particularly Zerith San right now. Like you do see a lot of the good black removal spells floating around. There's giant killer and it often felt Like, even Brazen Borrower makes it feel way too risky to just commit that much mana, because the Punishers are so hard when you spend that mana on your turn.
0: Yeah, playing demir Control in one of the mirror matches, I had an opportunity to Xerath Sand my opponent's Shark Typhoon, which, in theory, should be really, really good, right? But, like, we're also kind of on a low-resource game. Like, neither of us could resolve, like, any card drawing or anything, so if if they had a borrower to return it, then they're just up by a lot. Yep, yep. And so yeah, yeah. I it's, it's face that
1: situation repeatedly where it's just like, I could go for this and if I hit, it's great. But if I miss, I'm probably losing the game on the spot.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's tough. I do like the idea of more interaction in general. The first way I built it was just trying to be a tribal deck and I think that that's fine. But the way... The metagame is set up right now. Like, I do want to make Lofty Denial good. I do want some amount of counter Uh, You already have in the Lock, obviously, which is really good. And yep. uh, Mattia Rizzi, I was looking at the list today. Mattia uh, went 4-1 in a prelim that was like a hybrid rogue control deck. He had a couple copies of End of the Story, which is... Yep, going a little bit bigger than I would really want to, but the deck is definitely starved for like any sort of card advantage, you know.
1: Yeah, I like it if you're going with a a leaner package and your goal is just like deny your opponent all their good cards and get your plink damage in. And it just seems like it's a more unique line for the rose deck to be able to take rather than just being like kind of a bad creature deck, honestly.
0: Yeah, and to that end, it sort of ends up resembling the uh mill deck right where it's like you're you're sort of this control deck but you have a fairly big win condition package and that's basically what Matias rogue deck looks like so i'm interested to try that at some point yeah it seems promising to me and then uh as far as decks that are maybe like kind of on the list for things to try that i haven't quite tried yet are cycling which is obviously just a block deck you know or a single set deck really uh, Azorius Control, I haven't really felt a need to try that instead of Demir, but I will note that, I don't know, like maybe Banishing Light is what you want to use to beat up on Clover or something. I don't know. And then Winota, I've actually tried, but the humans are all pretty bad.
1: They're bad. They're bad humans. I, I want to go back to the idea of Acquisitions Expert being the human that I'm most apt to put into play, and then just having a good Skyclave Apparition deck. So that's probably my next build of Winota. Uh, But I'm not seeing much Winota right now, which is surprising. I mean, we kind of had that picked out as one of the power points and uh, hasn't delivered thus far.
0: I mean, the card itself is powerful, right? It's just like, do you want to put Kenrith or Tazri into your your beatdown deck? And, you know, some people have done that. Some people have just been like, no, I'll just put like a a 3-1 into play with this thing. And it's like, all right, that's fine, but... Not great. And the non-humans, like Selfless Savior, Skyclave Apparition, Bone Crusher Giant, if you want to Stretch into Black for Woe Strider, like all of those are solid. I think you can fill your deck out with those things easily enough. Uh, And then there's, I don't know, like the dog version or whatever, or Pawblade type of stuff that you can do too. But yeah, just like the, the hits off Winota are very, very not good. And then the rest of your deck is super weak to Bone Crusher Giant.
1: Yeah. Classic Bone Crusher Giant problems.
0: And then the last one is a deck that 5 0 once on Magic Online, which was the Mono Blue Nyx Lotus. And I don't think it's good, but I do want to try it.
1: Along those lines, uh, kind of a big engine deck that I want to see if it can outscale over the top of the Omnath stuff. I want to look at Doom Foretold again. I mean, maybe I'm just a- addicted to this stupid card.
0: Dude, there's no way it outscales. That's my problem with it. That's why I just haven't even looked at it.
1: What if you have Dance of the Mance?
0: uh yeah maybe yeah okay that's okay. where I, that's
1: where i'm at right now like I, I know you're gonna be upset about this card and as i say it i will then probably start to tell stories about times that i've won only because of this card but you have like confounding conundrum and birth of meletus and treacherous blessing and then you just have shatter uh to control battlefields doom foretold and Dance of the Mance, bringing back all that stuff. Probably still like some golden egg type stuff to just get your gears turning appropriately. Heartless Act is your removal spell. It all seems fine. Like these are all acceptable cards targeting what I want to target. It's just a question of when I dance, is it going to be enough? And can I actually hold the game till turn eight, which is the earliest point I could potentially dance?
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting because I... Yeah. Whenever I was building like doom decks in recent times, I was mostly strict sticking to Orzov, And I know that there are like some weirdo Urian builds confounding conundrum obviously fits in these decks quite well. Like it kind of gives you a reason to stretch into a third color. And yep. I mostly forgot that dance existed, but you might be right where that might be a way to actually like close a game against someone.
1: Yeah. I mean, you end up with like a bunch of, you end up with five, four, fours and two doom
0: and they have to sacrifice immediately and you just drew a bunch of cards probably, you know, like, yeah. yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Anything else on the docket?
1: No, no. And, you know, having this conversation honestly makes me feel okay about the format. I'm, I guess I just wanted to be over the moon, right? Like that's really where all this is coming from is that, like this felt like the time and the change and the new era of magic and uh, we're, we're back in a lot of the same places we were previously, but having this conversation, it's like, okay, there's good options. Like I, I believe in some of these decks. I think Omnath remains tier one throughout its existence, but I don't know that I can't tune some of this stuff to the point where it's not a punt to be playing something besides Omnath. It's just, I expect the next week Omnath to come back with a different build that actually hard punishes me.
0: Yeah. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't know, just kind of at the end of it. If I really want to rank up on the ladder, I think I'm going to be playing Omneth. But in the meantime, I am having a decent amount of fun trying to explore different things. And based on my experience on ladder, like immediately after the ban, I played against a ton of adventures. But I was also in in Mythic at that point, you know. So maybe mm-hmm. there's like more tryharding going on. But now that I'm back in Platinum or whatever after the season reset, I haven't played against many Omneth decks. So. A lot of people on the same page where they just want to explore and try out the new stuff. Sure. Anyway, uh, every week we solicit the fine folks in our Discord for their burning questions. And this week we got uh, a lot of you know, negative stuff. I guess we get a decent amount of negative stuff. A lot of weeks.
1: Definitely but. way more than we used to. I feel like we used to be a very positive place. and I, I, We certainly bear some of the blame for that, right? Like I, I wouldn't put it on other people. Like No, no. We, we have moved to... Uh, a more, I don't know, defeat is not the right word, or more questioning place in recent times. So it's on us, but there's a couple couple gems in the rough from this week's questions.
0: Yeah, one of the questions that I liked that I selected this week comes from Jeff Pica. And I wonder what the the impetus for this question was, like what's going on in, in Pica's life. Uh, but Jeff asks, as someone who has done a lot of career changes, Asking both of us what is the best way to go through a radical change. And I think the best way to frame the answer to this is to talk about like the different radical changes. Like there, there, there's like one that is a choice and one that is forced upon you. Right. And I think that those mm-hmm. are pretty stark differences. Sure. I, I want to hear your answer to this question first, actually. Okay. So I, don't necessarily believe in setting like hard and fast goals because it mostly leads to disappointment. If I don't hit it, it's like, well, I have to like top end this tournament or whatever. However, I think a long-term goal of just being like, you know, maybe in like five or 10 years, I want to be making content for a living. Like that was a, a thing that I set out to do at some point and actually have it be profitable. And Every choice and every decision I made in my life was a- aligned with that goal. And if, if I made a choice to move back away from that goal, then, you know, maybe I should question whether or not that goal should even exist, right? So it's like, if there is a place you want to be, every decision or change that you make should be moving you towards that. And I think as long as you are moving towards a place that you think is going to make you happier, then you will be in a good spot overall, right? So just like framing your overall uh, choices and goals towards like this this one big thing, I think is a way to do it. And then at that point, if it comes to a point where you you have to make a radical change based on that, you know why you're doing it and you can justify it. And you probably should have been thinking along the lines of, you know, like this this is probably where I'll have to end up, you know, at some point it will be a radical change, but it should have been something that maybe you were expecting for a while, right? And then the, the flip side of that, like, you know, radical change that is unforeseen is, is pretty tough. But I think that if you, again, have that thing in the back of your mind of like where you want to be and you can still see that as a potential endpoint, then I think it, it makes it okay. You know, it's just like, this is the reality of the situation. This is the world I live in and I want to find the best way to thrive within that reality. And I think that that's kind of all there is to it, right? It's like, you're going through this radical change, but like, there's not a whole lot of point of having regrets or bemoaning the fact that it's happening or anything along the lines of that. It's just like, okay, how do I succeed and how do I thrive in this? And that's, I don't know, it's like how I approach magic, how I approach life. And I find it's better to dwell on, you know, Kind of the things that you can change and the things that you can't versus doing like a grass is always greener thing, like looking at the other side of it, you know?
1: That was a really good answer. And I made you go first because I don't feel like I haven't answered this question, which is, I mean, like sounds a little weird, I guess, because I have done this thing so many times. I went from a uh, student to dropping out of college to play poker to, Going back to college to realizing I didn't want anything to do with what I got my degree in, to becoming a bartender and bar manager, to going to law school, to stopping being a lawyer and coming here. And uh, I kind of just do what feels right in the moment. And I, I wish I had like a more clear path than that. But it's like this thing that I thought would make me happy is not making me happy. And I could either let myself sink into it or I change something. And that's kind of been the impetus for most of the large alterations in my life is just, okay, I have gotten myself to the point where I am acknowledging and I'm honest with myself that this thing is making me unhappy. What am I going to do about it? And I can even think back to like personal changes, like either When I was partying too much and I'm like, okay, partying is actually net negative to my life and I'd like to do this less. Well, how do I do that? I'm like, well, just stop doing that. (laughs) Or when I was overweight and wanted to lose weight, it's like, okay, I've realized this makes me unhappy. What am I going to do about this? And that's really all my changes are. It's just a a dawning acknowledgement that this is not working for me anymore. What's the next thing going to be? and in terms of like choosing the next thing i guess i'm really bad at that because i wouldn't have had to do it so many times if if i was good at like picking the next spot
0: that's not true that's not true right because you are doing the best with the information that you have at the time and you change sure. over time right like
1: there yeah yeah that is that is a big part of it is i'm a different person in all of these moments right I, my Goals and priorities are completely different,
0: right? There, there was a time when, like you know, partying was your scene and you had fun and you did it, and you know, maybe you were doing it for the wrong reasons or whatever. But that was a thing that you know helped you at that time, and maybe now looking back, you're just like, why the hell did I ever do that? But that's because you changed. You know, you no longer needed that in your life.
1: That's a great way of looking at it, and it certainly does a lot to uh, massage some of the. I, I don't even want to say like massaging guilt or doubt because I don't guilt I don't feel any guilt or any doubt about the choices I've made like all of these changes I'm convinced were the best changes for my health my happiness my sanity all that stuff I am mostly convinced I have made the right move over and over uh, it just doesn't always bring me to where I think it's going to and maybe that's the like actionable piece advice of advice I can give is stop trying to believe that your life is going to follow a perfect track or that you're supposed to have done something by this point or this is the stage in your life where this is the thing you're supposed to focus on it's just like there's so much uncertainty and swirling nonsense around all of our existences that I think we all need to be way kinder to ourselves to just be like this is this is me in this moment I don't necessarily have to have a huge goal that I'm trying to achieve or I don't have to have you know owned a house by the time I was 30 or started my family by the time I was 30. Like all these things just don't matter. They're arbitrary goals that we place on ourselves. And I think it's worth way more to just be like, I'm living a life I like right now. And that's the biggest thing I say about my world at this moment is despite all the hardship that's surrounding everyone's life in 2020, it's like, I like what I do. Even when magic has its issues, I love that we get to come here and talk about those issues all the time and postulate ways through them and f- try and find points of light in what can be a challenging situation. It's, it's still exciting, still meaningful. And I just think that should be the main goal It's just like find ways for your life to excite you and make you happy.
0: Yeah. T- I mean, two things regarding your story. I think you had an extreme amount of self-awareness and that like the changes that you made seem to be net positive over time, right? You know, just like y- you were you were at a point and then you made a change and I think that put you in a more positive place and then you got to a point where you're like, this isn't working for me. You made a change that put you into a more positive place, right? And Could be a lot
1: of survivorship bias going on too. Just like all these things have worked yeah. out very well for me and- it certainly could have broken tons of different ways and in all of these changes.
0: No, for sure. And I, so I think that my life history maybe has like more ups and downs than yours. And uh, for, for example, like, I don't know, when, when I was a kid, I, I, I barely graduated high school. There's a lot going on there, but barely graduated, didn't go to college, did not think that like college was for me, didn't know what I wanted to do, et cetera, but was like mostly living like a, a pretty, poor lifestyle, both like monetarily and, and normally, you know, and magic was the thing that I kept doing through all of this because it, it gave me an outlet. I enjoyed it, whatever, but I still had no idea what I was going to do. And then like through magic, I met some people that gave me some connections to allow to like me to move out of States and get away from like this really shitty environment. And I started working in these poker rooms, which admittedly were not very legal, but regardless, Uh, worked in these poker rooms for like three years and was suddenly like making a bunch of money, went from like just being like a dealer to an actual manager and like owner of some of these poker rooms and stuff. And then eventually things got shut down. Right. So then I was basically back to where I was. I had a bunch of like money saved up. But after like a couple of years, that money ran out. And then I was back to just like, you know, sleeping on people's couches and like paying them a couple hundred bucks a month in rent. And like, I moved around a lot and again, basically like had no prospects and stuff. So it's like, I, I was like very low and then very high and then like very low again. And I think after that, I steadily, you know, climbed up and got to a point where I wanted to be. Like my trajectory was mostly upwards, but there were definitely times where, uh, you know, like I went through a breakup at the end of 2015 that I think was, it looked like I was on an upward trajectory and then I kind of had to restart again, you know, I like moved back across the country and had to like reevaluate like who I was and what I wanted to do with my life and stuff like that. So it's like there, yours has a lot of upward trajectory and mine is like more up and down is basically the point that I'm making. And I don't know, it was, it was hard to deal with that stuff too. Like the stuff that is like unexpected, it wasn't necessarily within my control that like, the poker rooms got shut down or that my girlfriend dumped me or whatever. I mean, like, obviously, you know, I have a lot of uh, agency in the relationship, right? Like, so that is obviously on me. And like, I could have not been working in this illegal place or whatever. There are things that I could have done, absolutely. But like, when it is forced upon you, again, I think it is just correct to look at the situation and how you can best thrive in that situation and what would be best for you and for example, like at the end of the breakup, I was like, you know, what, what would be best for me? And I thought it was just like going back to the playing tournament magic. And I did that really hard for six months. And I, in that six months, I think I had four weekends where I wasn't traveling and that was good for me. It gave me an outlet and I was like fired up and kind of like pissed off, not necessarily like at my ex or anything, but just like, at life and the fact that I had to reset and the fact that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do and all that stuff. Right. So, dude, I was fired up and I was crushing it. I, I, you know, cashed like 90 to 95% of the tournaments I played in and everything. It was really good. And then one day I woke up and was just like, Oh, this, this actually kind of sucks. Like I just blinked and six months went past and I didn't do anything. So then I was like, all right, maybe I need to step back and actually reevaluate things. Like now I am ready to try and make an actual change. Uh, and yeah. Then- I, the thing
1: that keeps popping up is that you're not, you're like, you're not holding yourself down because of the setbacks you have. Like you're not holding them against yourself. You're just using them as launching platforms over and over. Right.
0: There, There's some amount of it, but like when correctly, yes, I should be doing that. I think so like that six month period was probably like me holding myself down and like, you know, feeling responsible and depressed or whatever. But then after that six months, I was like, I, I need to get my head out of my ass and then actually focus on making the correct decisions. And then that's like when the podcast started happening and stuff like that. So I don't know, Yeah, It's super interesting.
1: It's hard to, it's hard to ever go back over this stuff and like think that I'm in a position where I should be bestowing advice on other people. Cause all of what I have been through, it just feels like dumb luck in a lot of ways. And like, I, I know there's other things going on as well. And like, I'm not trying to disclaim all responsibility for things, but A lot of things have gone very favorably. And I just think the fact that I'm open to them going favorably helps me a lot. And a bunch of that is just getting lucky and having things break favorably. But until you give yourself a chance for things to go well, they can't. Like If you're just not accepting that this dramatic change could possibly be the one that catapults you forward in a good new direction, then it really can't be the one that does.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are... So like me bouncing around and like living with other people. That I think is a good example of like me trying a thing and it not working out and then I'm just like okay, on to the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. And I kept trying to move forward, move upward. And there're always going to be setbacks and there's going to be like some stuff that you can't control, you're going to make mistakes. But yeah, it is it is just trying to get yourself into a, a position that feels good and feels right and it's the The first like radical change decision you make might not work out, or you might change you might end up realizing that you don't like it or you you don't like it two years later or whatever, and then you just have to do it again.
1: Do you know what we just did what we just brought this podcast full circle because this is also awesome advice for wizards. if you're not super happy with engines, you tried it out, <laughs> and you wanted to see what magic was like under the thumb of engines and you know, with a more commanders commander S gameplay, and now you're maybe regretting it a little bit. That's okay. We're not mad at you. We're still here and we can just move forward with a new way of playing magic.
0: Also, like, I guess another good uh, example of how I handled like the radical change that just kind of like forced upon me is like, you know, Andrew got hired and then majors got hired by wizards. And what, what did I do with the podcast? You know, like I could have just been like, this sucks or like, how dare you majors? Or, you know, there's, there's no one that can possibly replace him or whatever. It was like, nah, I just like calmly sat down, you know, thought of people who I thought would be a good replacement or, you know, they not. were
1: all unavailable. And then I stepped in and it just happened to work out.
0: Not, not necessarily a replacement, but like someone who would allow the show to continue to go on, you know? And I, I just like, went with with my gut on it. You know, there's there are a lot of people with like, and you know, I, I think we've had like the same conversation before. And it's like not for me to like be negative towards you or whatever, but it's like people with like more magic accolades or whatever. But it's like, no, this this person doesn't have like the same chops that like, you know, majors or you do or whatever. It's like, yeah, maybe you have like four Pro Tour top eights, but you're gonna make a worse podcast than Brian is, right? And I think that again, if you had like devoted your life to magic, you would also have those results. But whatever, it was just like, I know that people are going to like, think about this is like a weird choice, but just, you know, trust me, like this is the right choice. And I think people at this point know that you are slam dunk, like the best choice that I could have possibly made. And like, no one else would have made that choice, but it's like, you, you just, you know, just follow your gut and do what feels right. And you're probably correct.
1: And if they don't know that I was the right choice by now too bad you're stuck with me I've been here for like 150 episodes you're not getting rid of me at this point
0: dude over over it might be like 170
1: that's preposterous
0: it's close to 170 but yeah I, that was that was like a tough change too because I was I was starting to like that podcast you know sure whatever I don't know if things if things get forced on you obviously that's hard but uh, I mean if you're a magic player you're on the internet, you're in the discord. You're probably pretty well connected. I'm sure there are a lot of people that you can uh, bounce advice off of too. And that certainly helped me a lot too, just like being able to talk through uh, potential avenues that I could take. Like when I was living in Roanoke the second time before I moved back to Washington state, I was having a conversation with Cho and He suggested a thing to me that I think would have been good that I didn't even think about or didn't think was possible, which was like, basically, I wanted to get out of Roanoke and doing the tournament grinding thing was not working out for me. And he's like, why don't you just move to Japan?
1: That would have been an interesting move.
0: Yeah, and I I, I think I could have done it and I think it would have worked out. And it was definitely not a thing that even like crossed my mind as being realistic, but he just like so nonchalantly suggested it. And he was just like, no, I think, I think that you would love it. And I think that it would work out for you. And and then that was a thing that I like hard considered. And it was only because I sought the advice of someone who actually knows me really well. You know,
1: for sure. Always good to take those other inputs. Oftentimes people will see something in you that you do not see in yourself, I think.
0: Yeah, this, I, I love these questions. And again, I'm still not sure if we answered like the the spirit of Pike's question or whatever, but I don't know. This is uh, a thing that I would be doing on the regular, not maybe not on the regular, regular, but like occasionally where it's just like, we just talk about random life topics like this because, you know, we've, we've both lived long lives. We're both very old. We have some Id- advice, old. some advice very. to impart to the youngins. And it's interesting uh, yeah. to me. No,
1: I agree. I always enjoy getting into life stuff. Uh, it's it's nice to take that rear view lens and just sometimes contemplate all the things that have brought you to a very strange, but very cool, unique place. I think we all don't do enough positive look backs. Like I will often look back and beat ourselves up, but instead just being like, yeah, you know, I, I did all right in this situation. I made the best of some strange shifts and I, I'm proud of myself for taking these leaps. Always good to give yourself credit.
0: Yeah. And as always, if you look back and see mistakes that you made, that's actionable intel. Mm -hmm. You get to to then, yeah, you get to then not make those mistakes again. That is good. You are learning. You're improving. That is a positive thing. Like you, you can't learn without messing up pretty much. Truth. So it's, it's never all bad and you should never beat yourself up that much unless you do something completely heinous. But I don't know. I think it's more, more shades of gray then people are willing to give it credit.
1: Game. Good luck.